Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Greg Chase. I'm a partner in the law firm Reed Smith, based here in New York. Very pleased to moderate this panel today on consolidation in the shipping industry. Uh, as a Absolutely. Very pleased to be here this afternoon moderating this panel on consolidation in the shipping industry. Uh, we've got a great panel of industry executives. Uh, maybe in the interest of time, we'll just go right down the panel and let each person introduce themselves. Oh. We'll start on the far end. So I'm Hamish Norton. I'm the president of Starbolt Carriers Corp. Uh, Jeff Prebor, CFO of International Seaways. Mark Friedman. I run the transportation group at Evercore. Arispidis Pitas, CEO of Eurocis uh, and Eurodry. So we have executives from public shipping companies. I think it's fair to say with different size market caps, I think we can have a good discussion about perspectives that each might bring, as well as trends, trends in the industry and in consolidation. Uh, certainly, I think we want to have an interactive session this afternoon. If people have questions, please signal to me, and I will try to get, get your question uh, identified. Uh, so let's see if we can sort of set the stage for what's happening in the market for consolidation and shipping. Certainly in the broader M&A market, it's been a very active year. I think the New York Times says it's been the most active year of M&A in, in the economy in maybe ever. Uh, how is this affecting shipping? Are we seeing this filter down to the shipping industry? Maybe, maybe I'll start with Mark. Sure. <clears throat> Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's despite maybe... Um, the scarcity of headlines, there's actually, I'd say, a fair amount of consolidation uh, that may be in the works, um, so maybe that's somewhat breaking news. Um, obviously, what's been a little bit out in the public has been, you know, the Dorian BW situation that uh, we're working on, but I think, you know, more broadly, I do think in a capital-constrained market uh, and a market in which, you know, at least there's some uh, economies of scale, um, that M&A is alive and well. Uh, Hamish Norton uh, has been busy, you know, at Starbulk, which has done a great job, you know, consolidating the market and, you know, trying to capture more um, market share to some degree, but really it's about capturing more market capitalization and liquidity and float um, and professionalism in the way uh, these gentlemen um, are managing, helping manage uh, their firm. So um, I actually think, you know, over the next year or so, you're going to see an increasing number of M&A um, trades. Um, the one trend that we're seeing is a simplification of corporate structures. So, you know, five or ten years ago, there were MLPs and a lot of carve-outs. And, you know, by and large, um, you know, there's been some success, but a lot of the balkanization of different companies has sort of been disappointing in its execution. And I think you'll continue to see transactions among affiliates where uh, you see more consolidation. Aristides. Well, uh, surely we're seeing some consolidation in the US capital markets. Uh, it's been the buzz of the business for the last uh, few years that consolidation should happen. Shipping is an industry that has been around for centuries, obviously, and uh, there have always been uh, many smaller companies. 
And, and why do we suddenly see the capital markets saying we, we should consolidate? I think it has been proven that uh, smaller companies that have a meaningful size, which is, you know, 10 ships or something like that, uh, can compete with much bigger companies uh, very competitively. We, we have uh, two listed entities, one on the dry bulk spectrum and one on the, container, on, on the feeder container spectrum that have a few ships, around 10 ships each. And uh, we feel that uh, on our, our profitability is very similar to a company that has much more ships. So we, don't, we see con uh, consolidation not as a need in order to increase profitability, because a small company can be profitable and there are other advantages of being small. Uh, you are nimble, you are quick, you can respond to changing circumstances much easier. But on profitability, I think a smaller company and a bigger company, like the ones that are being created now in the capital markets, uh, are equal. But the capital markets, by definition, are areas where you want institutional investors to get in and get involved, and they are big amounts of money, and they try and do it in scale. And that's why we're seeing consolidation today, because we have big investors that have invested a lot of money and want to have the liquidity, which obviously is not there for a smaller company. So I understand why consolidation is happening. It's a good thing. It can help bigger investors get the in and out quickly. But what, I don't, what I'm pretty sure is that profitability is not going to be different from a small company to a larger company. Hamish, hey, would you have perspective on that? Well, certainly, um, uh, you know, our recent acquisitions have been driven um, much more by trying to serve the needs of investors than trying to, um, you know, develop internal synergies. Um, but, uh, you know, what Aristides said about the investors demanding size is certainly true. Um, what we would hope to do is to become uh, a mid-cap company in the eyes of investors. And mid-cap is, you know, something like two or three billion dollars in equity market value, ideally being maintained through a down cycle, um, which we're not in today. So we've got a fair ways to go before we are consistently mid-cap over the whole business cycle. Um, but, you know, what, what Aristides uh, said about profitability uh, of a smaller company being essentially equivalent to the profitability of a larger company is true if you have a brilliant entrepreneur like Aristides running the company. You know, if you've got a more, you know, sort of typical manager, um, uh, you know, running a company, you might need a bunch of talented employees, uh, which might be a lot easier to hire if you had a big company that could, you know, support a higher level of total overhead. Um, is, that the, is that the difference? It's, it's the, the profitability is increased because you have the larger company size can can mitigate the effects of the higher GNA? Well, I mean, certainly, uh, you know, uh, a GNA of, 
you know, let's say uh, between $1,000 and $1,100 per day per ship, which is Starbucks GNA, is I suspect not that different from your GNA. I haven't looked, frankly, but, but the point is that GNA per ship per day supports a lot of, you know, high-priced people who add value. Uh, at Starbulk, um, and uh, it obviously supports a much smaller number of people at a 10-ship organization. And so you need to have, you know, extremely talented people at that 10-ship organization uh, to, to pull off the, the same profitability. I, I certainly agree that, that uh, small and large uh, models can coexist. It's not going to become a monolith of all Three billion or, or five billion companies, and no smaller ones. So I think Aristides, are, and I, I echo the uh, Harris's uh, Hamish's comment about the quality of management makes a difference. But, but my perspective is that that um, look, I think the first time I was on a panel talking about consolidation shipping was 20 years ago, right? So it's been talked about a lot. But I, I'd go further than Mark said. I, I would say that it's already started. You know, so it's been talked about for a long, long time. But there is more consolidation happening. But you know, from inside a company, I also feel like it's always a topic of conversation at, at, at forums like this because it's like, do you remember when you were younger, if you, if you, if you did what I did, we played the game, board game like Risk, and it was really fun to like move test pe or pieces all over the table and take over a new country and build an empire, et cetera. And so I think talking about consolidation feels like a game, and it's interesting. Uh, but if you're actually in a company, it's, it's not so simple, right? It, it isn't like playing a game of risk. It, it, there's a lot of elements to, is this a good deal or a bad deal? What are the issues? How am I going to finance it? You know, et, et cetera. And, and it, it, so it takes a lot longer than just it does to sit down and play a board game. And the other thing I'd say is, moving to another analogy, I think when people at conferences like to talk about M&A, they, they really like to talk about public-to-public M&A. That's like opening a show on Broadway. That's the big, the big thing, right? But there's lots of ways to consolidate. What Hamish's firm has done with, with recently with you know, buying fleets or a collection of ships for shares, not big necessarily public-to-public M&A, you know, that's at least off-Broadway. I mean, it's definitely consolidation, Hamish, for sure. And, and I'd argue that our you know, $434 million acquisition of six ships this summer, was, you know, which is not what some people call M&A, that's at least off-off-Broadway, right? I mean, we're consolidating the V industry partly. Uh, so it, it isn't all just about two public companies coming together. And, and Jeff, from your perspective, is is market cap the the the, the sole driver? Do you, are you looking to get to three billion as as well, or or is it profitability? Uh, what 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 are the the key tenets that you're chasing if you put no, to, I, look I at agree, a deal? I agree with what people have said, but you know, Mark, as a current M&A practitioner, and me as a former one, would tell you, compared to other industrial industries where their synergies from combining the cost synergies are really very large. They're, they're smaller here. So that's why people tend to say, oh, there's not that much synergy from getting larger. It's all about the capital markets. But if you can shave off $10 million of GNA, for example, in a deal, that capitalize that at 10 times. That's, you know, to, p to pick a number, even five times. You know, that's significant. So there are synergies. They're just not as big as some other industries. But I think that the access to capital markets is, is, is the key driver. It isn't necessarily one you know, bogey uh, capital, uh, market cap size, but, but bigger is, is better in terms of access to capital. Okay. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, 
Uh, and thank you for all for the nice uh, words both of you said. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of companies that have good management that understands the business. A smaller company has the advantage that it needs less so, many, so much talented people with a few, a couple of talented people. You can run a, small, uh, a smaller company. A bigger company is, in my eyes, a little bit more difficult to run as effectively and as efficiently. It needs more good managers, and management is a very significant part of the business. Knowing shipping and understanding shipping and the ships is extremely important, but when you go to a bigger company, the management levels and, and the structure of the, organ of the organization is extremely important. And I, to, to reciprocate the nice comments by, by Hemis, I see that Star has done it, and they have improved tremendously, and now their OPEX is amongst the lowest of the industries similar to ours, I would say. It was not all the time like that, but they did a good job during the crisis and they're keeping it on. So, but but uh, also, one more thing I think to know about this industry is it's not a very big industry anyway. So it's very difficult to have, you know, even mid-cap companies uh, within the space. Uh, and I, I always like the idea of having not just one company, I'm, I'm against monopolies, uh, against oligopolies. I want there to be a market, I want there to be quite a few players uh, so that the competition between them creates efficiencies uh, and uh, improves the quality of the performance. But it's a small market to have too many mid-cap companies. Mark, what, what trends are you seeing? Of course, Jeff mentioned you know, public to public, but a lot of the acquisitions we've seen are uh, something different than that. They're, they are ships for shares. They're, they're private equity platforms perhaps selling out of their investments. But when you, when you talk to clients, uh, what are the trends? Well, I think you're sort of hitting on the key thing. What, the question is, what, what motivates uh, a transaction to happen? And in this industry, I think Hamish and Jeff ca captured it well. You know, there's some level of synergy, but that's not really it. To a large degree, it's about liquidity, um, and it can also be a balance sheet, but the key factor is what are the shareholders asking for? And so, you know, in the deals that Hamish has been involved with of late, and we worked with, with um, the Star Organization when it was merged with Ocean Bulk, I mean, it really is trying to capture the vision of the shareholders much more, uh, more than in most industries where you're trying to capture maybe the vision of management and to some degree management and ownership may be you know one and the same which also makes it interesting but if you look at a lot of the recent activity um, most of the deals I think were born out of the shareholders wishes so you know if you look at you know going back to General Maritime and Navigate Crude which Jeff and I actually worked on as uh, when Jeff was advising, each set of shareholders saw that vision. Um, you know, in, in the case of Euronav and Generate, even more recently, it really, to a large degree, these are sort of shareholder-driven, either in terms of how they see sort of a unified management team or to get into sort of the liquidity, into the right, you know, stock that has the right float. You know, the other thing that we're seeing in terms of trend is consolidation because one of the companies in question is under financial stress. So I don't know that I you know, need to go through the litany of deals, 
but there's certainly been a lot of mergers where the balance sheet strength of the entity being acquired was challenged and the shareholders sort of demanded uh, that there be a merger. And, and Mark, do, do you think we will see more public to public among the, the sort of stock exchange listed companies that we have in, in and around New York? Uh, I think it's gonna continue to be a mix. Um, it's gonna be a healthy mix between public to public, uh, public for, to private for those, whether it's PE firms or just private owners that wanna you know, not take a mark on their vessels but have public currency. Uh, and then I think you're also going to see, con you know, continued consolidation among affiliates. Like the, you know, the MLP market has been a challenging market for marine MLPs, and we saw that with the Navios transaction, where people are now sort of consolidating and simplifying. And and do public companies have a bit of an advantage in this environment? You know, for example, they can use their shares to acquire assets. Well, I mean, we've seen that a number of private owners of dry bulk vessels have been interested in contributing their fleets to us, or possibly they looked at other public companies, but, but the, those fleets ended up with us, in order to get um, a liquid publicly traded share. Um, because I, I think they were of the view that in the market, that would exist when they would feel like selling in a, in a strong market, um, that the shares would be easier to sell than the ships when they finally wanted to sell. Um, and so they were laying the groundwork for that trade that they anticipated to occur in one or two years uh, today by contributing their ships to Star Bulk. Aristide, is, is that an option or an opportunity for a company the size of yours to potentially scale up? Would that be a target? Sure, it's, it's an opportunity for us as well, uh, not with such big entities that Starbucks has merged, but uh, small owners that have one or two ships, private owners that want to get some exposure to the capital markets. It, it's uh, something that can be done, but I admit that our size is, is quite small, for somebody that has, you know, more than one or two or three ships to get in, viewing us as a potential exit option in two or three years' time. So, from, and as I said from the beginning, I think for the capital markets to increase in size makes sense, and uh, we will also try to do that just because we're in the capital markets, but it has nothing to do with the profitability. And, and Mark, does, does the, uh the operation of the of the company which is doing the acquiring, does it matter to the shareholders if they're looking at a potential deal? Do they need commercial management in internal at the company? Is that is that something that's driving deals in this market? I don't think it's necessary, but I think if a company is, you know, integrated, has a good integrated commercial and technical solution, you know, that could be attractive to the entity that's putting the ships in. But, you know, there's also we don't see this as a black and white issue, you know, to the degree that you have a public company that has a good outsourced solution um, and has, and, you know, I think in that case, investors are really looking to senior management to be running the technical and commercial well and 
really has a good strategic idea of when to be investing in different ships and different ship types, I think that's, you know, fully acceptable. So I think it goes, you know, the full range on that one. Greg, I think maybe you've, you've highlighted commercial because there have been some uh, talk around that in some, some deals and then the, the platform value of commercial. I, I see it more as just uh, the value of management. I mean, what is commercial? That's a part of the management team managing commercial. There's also really good technical management. There's good financial management. All those can add value, and I think every deal is different. You have some deals that are just pure assets, right, that just, just want the assets, but in every deal that we've looked at that's involved the company, we've thought about what kind of management might we get with this deal, and is that going to add to the international seaway story? So that could be commercial, technical, financial, whatever. And, and in a couple of the transactions we've done recently, we added um, the chairman of the respective companies to our board. Um, so w we've got uh, Raffaele Zagari now on our board, and we've got Arne Blistat on our board, and they're both very additive. Well, that, that actually segues into a, another subtopic that I'm curious about, which is, uh, you know, in the past, I think people at conferences like this have talked about social issues potentially being a barrier to combinations that might otherwise make, make sense. It sounds like Starbuck has, has navigated that to a degree uh, with, with these acquisitions by in, in inviting onto the board uh, key executives from the from the platforms which are, are selling. Yeah. Uh, is, is this a trend that we'll continue to see? Are, are social issues less pervasive now, perhaps in, in, in the face of some of the shareholder sentiment? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I, I think that uh, you know when one, when something happens and is successful, people tend to follow that. And I think that uh, Starbuck, uh, and I'm talking about Starbuck because they did a lot of uh, such acquisitions lately. They showed that it can be done and it can be done successfully. And uh, that leads other people to follow. One thing that I've realized in the capital markets over the years is that uh, you know, when somebody does something and it's deemed successful or, it's, or somebody who has, it's deemed successful does something, people tend to follow. I mean, this herd mentality exists everywhere. It exists in the, in the capital markets as well. I remember you know, back in the 2013 and 2014 when some people here from the capital markets started saying, let's buy echo ships. All of us went and bought the echo ships. So people, it was a wrong decision, but anyway. But people tend to follow the leaders that do, you know, that do the first move if it seems right or it's done by the right person. So I'm pretty sure that people will follow. Look at, look at just how everyone kind of laughed a little bit when you asked about social issues, like it's awkward, like something you can't bring up. You know, it's, it's um, uh, I'll give you a news flash. Most people would like to hold on to their jobs, right? You know, they're, 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 that's pretty much human nature. I mean, I had a deal, a deal earlier in my career as a banker that had nothing to do with shipping, but uh, where we spent a lot of time uh, calling on one company in Chicago, and I said to the MD that I was working for, like, why are we calling these guys every two months? And he said, well, the CEO is 65 and there's a retirement are coming up and he's going to be forced to retire. And this is like the perfect way for him to end his career is selling, you know, at, at a good premium. Okay, that could happen every once in a while. But most of the time you've got management that, that wants to stay on. On the other hand, I'll tell you another story. Was I, I remember when I was on the other side or on the investment banking side, as a young investment banker, I was thinking, gee, if I call the CEO and talk about a deal, you know, is it okay to talk about M&A or maybe it involves actually selling control of the company and maybe that's really awkward and, 
and uh, kind of pushy, I shouldn't do that. And you get to the company side, and we talk about that all the time. It's called doing our jobs, right? So we're a public company, we're stewards of capital. Yeah, we'd like to keep our jobs, but if a, if a deal happens and that's not what the new board is gonna say, well, that's the way it goes. So, you know, just, and I think everybody in a public company I know thinks that way. Uh, so, yeah, their social issues exist, but, but, you know, boards will ultimately, we work for boards, right? And boards will ultimately decide what deal happens or doesn't happen, and they'll decide who's going to run the company after it's done. I, I guess we'll let Hamish Bat clean up, which he always does well with. Um, but look, of course social issues are important. Um, I think Jeff made some great points there. Um, if you look at the number of mergers in the space, you know, the most, the, if you look at what happens most often, it's some form of affiliated company merger. So that should tell you a little bit about, you know, the control issues that people feel comfortable with someone that they're affiliated with. Um, and then, what do you see next? You see transactions where there's a lot of comfort with one another, and I think in the Starbuck deals, there's been relationships that you know transcend some of the shareholders, with some of the shareholders, maybe not in all cases, but some, and I think that's telling. So I do think you know most of the management teams uh, feel like they run good quality companies and they add a lot of value, and and so you know they should be concerned about social issues, but maybe. What's more interesting than that is, you know, we've seen a lot of mergers fail between either big private companies or public and private companies because in some cases, um, you know, the shareholders of the private company, whether it's PE owners or otherwise, didn't feel comfortable relinquishing control and merging into either a larger private company or into a public company where they'd have diffused ownership. So. It, it, this is not just, quote, a problem of, you know, public to public, but, you know, shareholders also are a big part of the equation, and in this industry, they have a hell of a lot of say about what gets done or not. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 let, let me just clean up on the, the social issue question, which, which what I was going to say is that uh, in, in one of the transactions we did, Sangha, it was quite helpful that um, you know we we had we have as a result of the Sangha acquisition 900 Norwegian shareholders, and uh, to keep those 900 Norwegian shareholders as happy as possible, uh, we listed Starbulk on the Oslo Bourse, um, and since we're listed on the Oslo Bourse, uh, it became very helpful to have an executive based in Oslo, uh, who is in fact the ex-CEO of Sangha. So that, that solved uh, some, some issues that may or may not have cropped up otherwise. Um, but w w one thing that Mark said triggered uh, uh, a, a thought that I, I think should, should be brought out. Um, shipping is often considered, especially in New York, as an industry that doesn't pay tax uh, because everybody is uh, working at companies that are based in um, offshore jurisdictions. Um, but 
you know, there are European Union shareholders that have trouble, not Greeks, but other nationalities that have trouble owning um, offshore companies, list, you know, domiciled in offshore jurisdictions. And uh, for an American shareholder, it's quite awkward to hold shares in shipping companies that are domiciled in certain European Union jurisdictions. And that can block um, consolidation activity. So, uh, you know, we had a discussion with a Belgian company and they wanted to uh, do a business combination that would result in the resulting company being Belgian, but Belgium has a 30% dividend withholding tax and they wouldn't consider a company that was based in the Marshall Islands because Belgium treats dividends from Marshall Islands companies worse than dividends from Belgian companies. So, you know, um, it depends a lot on where the shareholders are based, you know, what tax structure they want, and that turns out to be a pretty big deal. Uh, that's a very interesting, interesting observation. Um, Mark, do, would you say that the shareholders are perhaps more ready to allow, you know, a change of management? You know, if we're talking about PE, PE made, you know, joint venture investments of a certain, um, you know, owner, owner interest oftentimes that they were prepared to back and they went, went to bat for that interest and they've stayed with them for a number of years and now perhaps they're getting towards the end of the investment's life cycle. Uh, is, that, is that driving some of this activity and is it suddenly the case that, you know, before we leave social issues entirely behind, that now they're more comfortable uh, because they're chasing liquidity, they can get the public company mm -hmm. shares? Well, we have in fact seen, you know, a fair amount of PE-driven activity over the last year. And, you know, a lot of those investments, as you pointed out, were fairly long in duration. Um, so it was fairly natural that we'd see consolidation. So, you know, transactions like Hafnia with BW have occurred. And I think if you go through sort of the litany of private equity-based investments, uh, we've sort of winnowed down the number where, you know, the PE folks are you know, in a spot where they can't get liquidity. There's still, there's still a ways to go though, and so I'm pretty confident that the gentlemen that are on the panel here will help capture some of the remaining activity. But it is interesting, a lot of those PE shops have been very, you know, particular uh, to their credit, perhaps, about being disciplined in, in the sense of uh, who they would entrust their, you know, their ships and uh, company to. So if, if it's about liquidity and it's about scale, we've talked, we've talked about scale in terms of market cap, but what about numbers of ships? Are, are, is the number of ships the key? Is, is bigger, larger fleets the, 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 the main driver or is it, is it something else? I, I think it's market cap and public float. And if you had one ship made out of platinum, you know, that still floated, um, and, you know, it was worth $3 billion and you had no debt against it and, you know, that $3 billion was all public float. That would be a mid-cap company with a big public float, you know, and if people wanted a ship that was made out of platinum, that would do well with investors. Um, you know, it's not the size of the fleet, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the size of the market cap. And, and what about the sizes of the ships themselves? Does that, does that drive investor interest and Well, I mean, the, the, you the know, 
it's the profitability of the ships that drives investor interest. And if you've got a shipping market where small ships are profitable, then people will like small ships. If you've got a market where big ships are more profitable, people will, will like big ships. But again, that, that drives market value of equity. And um, that's what really people care about. Aristides, what would you say on that? Yeah, no, I, I would agree with Hamis. Uh, uh, but generally, bigger ships in good markets uh, earn more than smaller ships. So uh, every, everybody's looking to make outsized returns about shipping. We are still living in the past uh, when shipping became popular in the States, when outsizing returns were possible. And therefore, that has encouraged everybody to try and make outsized returns by levering up too much or buying too, too big ships and doing both, uh, which obviously made the thing risky, and that's why we had all the problems that we had, that we had uh, in the capital markets during the crisis. The problems that we faced in the capital markets were bigger than the ones that were faced by most private investors who had always been more conservative on the finance levels and uh, have kept the company slightly smaller, not you know, spending whatever reserves they had to buy one more ship and one more big ship because it contributes more. It's, at the end of the day, as, as Jaime said, it's profitability, and uh, the management has to be disciplined enough in, in, a, in a volatile sector like shipping not to over-leverage, especially when ships are expensive, and to keep uh, a good, strong balance sheet. But obviously for all of us that are managing the company, if we want to, com to do well compared to, to the other companies, we say, okay, the market is going up, let's lever up, let's buy one more ship, we'll increase our EBITDA, and this makes it dangerous. I think the crisis has showed us that we should all be a little bit more conservative and seek more normalized returns than the outsized returns that everybody had expected out of shipping having seen the boom markets uh, up to 2008. I, I know we're almost out of time, but, but I'm, I'm struck by, so I think it's less about number of ships, or, but we talked about the market cap, but I think one of the things that, uh, since we do have three public companies here, I think that it behooves us to follow with something that Mark talked about, a trend towards simplification, right? Uh, maybe you were talking about cleaning up MLPs and whatnot, but I think another factor is just run a really good company, whether it's the model is smaller, is a, is a good size uh, dry bulk, or uh, us, you know, a nice, clean, transparent, mid-size uh, tanker company that can be a good candidate, whether it's for M&A, public to public, okay, that happens every once in a while, or whether it's just for shares, which Hamish just demonstrated, and we certainly looked at, you know, uh, just be a good candidate. Uh, and investors, I think, will then appreciate that, that you're, you're the kind of company that's investable because you, you will be able to, to grow by some form of consolidation m and Okay, well I've gotten the signal. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Okay. And we can continue the discussion over while we're coffee.